1 Kings chapter 4, let me begin at verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled, ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the river, from Tifsha to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. The district officers, each in his month, supplied provisions for King Solomon and all who came to the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. They also brought to the proper place their quotas of barley and straw for the chariot horses and the other horses. God gave Solomon wisdom and a very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than all the wisdom, the wisdom of all the men of the east, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethra, Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Let me pray for us as we listen to God's word. Father, we rejoice in your provision for your people, your people Israel in the Old Testament under the reign of King Solomon. But Lord, we ask that you would show us the the provision you have made for us, your people, your church now. Lord, let us see the truth of your word and its impact into our lives. Lord, let us find in, in Scripture the truth therein contained that, that you are the God of grace, the God who supplies all our needs in Christ Jesus, our King. So Lord, let us submit our lives to his authority, his power, his dominion. Lord, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I flew to Atlanta for a denominational committee meeting. The problem was my luggage did not arrive with me. So I was there for several days of meetings. Now, I dressed nicely enough on the plane that I could recycle the outfit I was wearing for meetings. And the airline very generously provided me with a necessities kit. It was a tiny little bag, about the size of a, a, you know, a little first aid kit. But in it was everything that I would surely need. A t-shirt wound as tightly as, as could be stuffed in this one, the tiniest little toothbrush and toothpaste, small stick of deodorant, uh, stuff so that I, I could shave. But this was apparently all that I would need. This was the necessities. And as, as, as one comedian has pointed out, if, if that's all that I needed, 
then dragging that suitcase down from the attic, filling it with stuff that I was going to use for several days, meant I clearly overpacked. Now, I survived the several days. I even got the phone call the next day from the, the airline that my bag was at the airport, only to arrive at the Atlanta airport and find that it was at the Philadelphia airport. So it waited for me when I got back. Now, if the airline were, were working under a First Kings 4 kind of principle, they wouldn't have given me just a tiny little bag. No, they would have wheeled out, not the hand-me-down luggage that I had, they would have wheeled me out a, a brand new piece of luggage, and not filled with just the stuff that I had brought from home, but the nicest of clothing from the nicest of stores. It would have been more than I could have imagined, because when, when I read 1 Kings 4, did you hear the description of, of how lavish the provisions were in the kingdom? So much so that, that we heard in verse 27, they saw to it, the, the governors saw to it that nothing was lacking, nothing at all. The king, his people had, had everything that they needed. Because here in 1 Kings 4, we find the, the prosperity and peace of Solomon's kingdom. We didn't take the time to, to read the first 19 verses, but, but go home and read them. And, and kids, read them out loud. Because these, these verses are way more fun to say out loud than to, than to read silently in your head. Because they're the list of, of all of the, the royal officials, the, the, the royal cabinet, the, the governing authorities of, of Israel, and the governors there throughout the land. But, but showing what, what we read in verses 20 and following then, that the King Solomon had everything that he needed. They supplied provisions for the, 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 the king and the royal household. And we're told that, that we, we just saw it in verse 27, that the district officers each in his month supplied provisions for King Solomon and all who came to the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. We read the descriptions of, of what they bring, the, the flour and the, the meal, the, the cattle and the, the sheep and the goats, the deer, the gazelles, everything that you would need. The king's table is always full. The royal officials always have enough. Their families, the, the royal guests have enough. And, it, and, it, and I mean, the, the author here, I mean, he shows us that, that not only did, was nothing lacking, but look at verse 28. Not only did the king have everything he needed, but the king's horses had everything that they needed. The, the prosperity of the kingdom is shown here. So much so that look at verse 25. Not only is the king have everything they need. Not only does the, the king's household and his animals have everything they need, but look at verse 25. Everyone in the kingdom has everything that they need. Verse 25, during King Solomon's, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. Do you hear it from, from Dan in the north, the northernmost tribe, all the way down to the south, to, to Beersheba? From, from the, the borders of the kingdom, they have, they have everything that they need. Each man has his own vine and fig tree. He owns the land. The land is, is producing everything he needs. His own vine, the, the fruit of the vine for his family. The figs, to, 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 the, when they're ripe, for, to feed his family. Each man has everything that he needs. I mean, this image is, is so, so beautiful that... Uh, uh, the, 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 the provision is so abundant that the prophets will take that description, each man under his own vine and fig tree, and they'll apply it not just to, to, to Solomon's time, the later prophets who follow 
the time of King Solomon, they'll not just look back and remember. Remember when? Remember when each man used to sit under his own vine, under his own fig tree, when he had everything that he needed? They actually, they take that image and then they, they use it to point forward. And there is coming a day, a day when we will have everything we need, when, when the Messiah will come and give this to us. We hear it in, in the, the prophet Micah the one who announces the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem in the chapters which come before in chapter 4. Micah is talking about the last days. He's looking ahead into the future by, by God, God giving him a, a vision, the, the words to say of what will happen when the Messiah comes. We read in Micah 4, in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. And then in verse 4, this is what Micah says, every man will sit under his own vine, and under his own fig tree, no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. See, the historic image of Solomon's day now becomes a prophetic announcement of what will come again to everyone. Zechariah the prophet again uses the image. In Zechariah chapter 3, we read in, in verse, verse 10, again he's speaking of that day, that great day when the Messiah will come. Zechariah says, In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. God will do this. God will bring the prosperity to, the, to, the, to his people. See, Solomon sees the, the prosperity in, in his lifetime. The, the people that live under him see this prosperity, the provision that comes from God. And it becomes then a template that the prophets will use to describe an even greater picture of God's grace when the Messiah comes. Now, you might think, though, that this seems, seems perhaps a little shallow. Is this really all the Bible is offering us? A vine, a fig tree. Now, even when we expand that to mean, to, 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 metaphorically, to understand that that means God will give us everything we need. Does, is that all it offers? Stuff for the here and now, right now? Because maybe you've had the... the that experience of flipping through the, the television channels and finding a, a preacher on TV who tells you that, who tells you God will give you every, if you follow God, then, then right now he'll meet all of your, your, your financial needs, all of your physical needs right now. And, and it gets worse sometimes, doesn't it? When then he asks you to send in your 1995 to support him. Now, perhaps you don't get caught watching television preachers as frequently as I do. But we all revile against that kind of teaching. That, that distortion of Christianity to reduce it to God will meet your physical or financial needs in the here and now. Because it has to be more than that. We know it, it must be more than that. Even here in 1 Kings, yes, it's a description of the historical reality of Solomon's day, but the Old Testament itself won't let us stop at the historical reality it points us to the greater spiritual reality which comes when the Messiah comes. It's an image that's expanded, not just God will meet your, your physical and financial needs. I mean, think of what we, what we prayed in our, our prayer of confession today. Not that Jesus would give us all of the, the desires of, of our hearts in the things of this world. We prayed that God would make us willing to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus does not offer you the promise that if you follow after him, everything in this life will be great. No, he tells you, pick up your cross. He tells his followers, you will suffer. And yet, even here in 1 Kings 4, this image is meant to point us 
to a greater spiritual reality, an overflowing spiritual prosperity that we cannot gain for ourselves, but must be given to us by the anointed king, by the Messiah. 1 Kings 4 shows us the prosperity of Solomon's kingdom, but also the peace of Solomon's kingdom. Look with me at, at the description of the borders of Solomon's kingdom. Look at verse 21. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river, that's the Euphrates River, to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. From the Euphrates in the, in the northeast all the way down to Egypt, pushing the Philistines away, the Philistines who are now subject to Israel. We see it again in, in verse 24, the description that, that Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms west of the river from Tifsha to Gaza and had peace on all sides. Not only has the, the border been expanded bigger than it's ever been, but even at the borders there is peace. All the way from the, the empires of, of the Assyrians and Babylonians near the Euphrates all the way down to the, the great powers of Egypt, there is peace everywhere. Now this should be surprising. This would be surprising for for an Israelite to hear this. Because up, up, up until this moment, Israel has never had peace. Even just the mention of the Philistines. David, the king before Solomon, Solomon's father, David constantly had to fight against the Philistines. Now, you remember that from, from his first battle against the most famous of all Philistines, Goliath. But it was, a, it was a problem throughout David's kingdom. He did not have, until the very end of his kingdom, this kind of peace. The borders have been extended. And these are, really, these are really the ideal borders for the nation of Israel. This is the fulfillment of a promise given hundreds of years before. We'd have to, we have to turn back to Genesis to, to see this promise, all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, the first book of the Bible. When God calls a man named Abram, Abram wanders, the, 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 he, he's sent by God to this promised land, but he's, he's not given the possession of it yet. He's a nomad wandering, but God makes a great promise to him. In, in Genesis 15, verse 18, God says to Abram, a man whose name will, will be changed to Abraham, he says in verse, chapter 15, verse 18 of Genesis, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Did you hear the borders? They're the borders that we finally, finally get to see in 1 Kings chapter 4. Finally, the promise God made to Abram has, become, has, has been fulfilled for the people of Israel. Solomon has the, the extent of the kingdom that was given. And notice how Solomon's influence then is, is over these nations. We're told that, that, that he has authority over the kingdoms that are, that are under his control. So much so that we, we read at the end of the chapter, in verse 34, that, that men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon has, has peace and prosperity on, in his kingdom. He has peace on his borders. He doesn't have to, 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 to make war plans, defensive plans, strategize against how to keep his kingdom safe. No, what does Solomon spend his time doing? He's a man who speaks in parables, 3,000 of them. He has time to write songs 
1,005 songs attributed to Solomon. Now, some of those Proverbs we have in our book of Proverbs, some of those songs we have in our book of Psalms. But he's a king at great leisure. Not only does he have, have leisure to, to write, but he, he, he has time to study. We saw that he can describe the plant life. From the cedars of Lebanon to the, the hyssop which grows out of the walls. This is a king who has so much freedom because he has so much peace that he can wander around and look at the little plants growing out of the walls. He's the gentleman farmer, the gentleman scientist with loads of leisure because his kingdom is prosperous and peaceful. And we, we heard the, the description of the people of Israel as, as numerous as the sand on the shore, which is an Old Testament way of, of saying too numerous to be counted. Because we see it again in verse 29 as a description of his wisdom. I mean, wisdom isn't even something you can count, but his wisdom is, is that great. His insight is, is as measureless as the sand on the seashore. But, but look again at verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Again, a reminder that the, the words should echo the promise given to Abraham. We turn now back to Genesis 22. We just saw in Genesis 15 the promise of, of the land being given. We saw how that was fulfilled in 1 Kings 4. But in Genesis 22, God makes a, a, a promise to Abraham. In Genesis 22, verse 17, this is what God says. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You hear Solomon has the peace, the prosperity promised to Abraham. The borders of the nations have been pushed out to the, the boundaries given in Genesis 15. The fulfillment of the promise that the, the people would be so great that they can't be counted is, is now fulfilled from Genesis 22, fulfilled here in 1 Kings chapter 4. The promise of peace and prosperity, a promise when given to Abraham, was meant for all the nations, not merely for Israel and Judah. But all the nations were blessed, and we begin to see that as the nations come to Judah, come to Solomon, come to Jerusalem to hear of his wisdom, to hear the gospel message. But still we're left with a question. How much peace is enough? Let me think of it. How much peace and prosperity would be enough for you? What if I could guarantee you one year in which the, the description of, of verse 20, they, they ate, they drank, and they were happy. What if I could guarantee that for you for one year? But it would mean 10 years of, of barely scraping by after that. Would one year be enough? What if I could give you 10 years? Now, in the first service, somebody ran the actuarial tables and said, I'll take it. What about, what about 40 years? Would 40 years of peace and prosperity be enough? If it meant that your children and grandchildren would barely survive after that. 40 years isn't enough, is it? And yet that's the length of Solomon's reign. We're told in chapter 11 that he reigned 40 years, 40 years of unknown before this point, peace and prosperity, a lengthy reign for an ancient king with such a vast kingdom. But you and I already know 40 years 
40 years is not enough. It's not even a lifetime. It's only the length of a king's reign. It's only part of a lifetime. And so even here, with the great prosperity and peace given to Solomon, you and I long for something more. You and I long for what the prophets point us to. The promise of the coming Messiah, his messianic peace. A peace which doesn't just last for 40 years, but will last forever. Because peace and prosperity brought by Solomon was never enough. And, and we even have a, have a hint of it here in our chapter. Look at verse 26. Now, as I was reading, you would just heard the description of, of all that was given to, to, to Solomon by the royal officials, by the people. And so, so verse 26 may, may just slip by us. We're told in verse 26 that Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. Now, initially, that sounds like, well, this is wise planning. Even though you have peace now, who knows what those, those people might do? The great warrior king should store up horses for himself. Any study of history would tell you that. Because every nation, if it were being wise, would, would keep its armies at the ready. Every nation except Israel. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, God told them that it would be sin for their king to gain peace on his own. It would be sin for the king to, to count his, his horses, to, to store them up for battle. Because Israel... King Solomon was never meant to trust in the size of his own army. He was always meant to trust in the size and the power of his God. And so even here, the author of 1 Kings doesn't want to let us get through this chapter. Even though the prosperity just pours out from the king's table, everyone has everything that they need. Not just the rich, everyone in the kingdom has all that they need. Each man sits under his own vine, under his own fig. And yet even here we have the warning that Solomon's power and peace will not be enough. See, the great prosperity of Solomon's kingdom should make us long for the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah who comes eating and drinking with people. The Messiah who when the thousands gather before them and they're hungry, he feeds them miraculously. And to make sure we understand and that the disciples understand, he does it again a couple of chapters later when thousands more gather. The Messiah who gathered with his disciples on the night of his arrest and feasted with them. But more than that, the Messiah who offered them not merely the, the bread of this world, the, the bread from the fields provided to the king's table, but offered himself for them. Because the great peace of Solomon's kingdom should make us long for a lasting peace that comes through the Messiah. A peace that's not, not won merely by, by horses and chariots, but the spiritual peace that is offered to us. Peace with God. A peace that we only find when we turn by faith to Jesus Christ. Jesus fed the crowds. Jesus celebrated at meals. Jesus offered his own life to give you spiritual life. In an everlasting kingdom, Jesus gives us peace, a peace eternal, a peace with God through faith in Jesus. See, 1 Kings 4 makes us long for one greater than Solomon, the Messiah himself, Jesus. Jeff Ansorg had everything he wanted. 
From the time he was a child, he dreamed of opening a fancy restaurant. So he would always cook, forcing mom to get fancier ingredients than she normally kept in the house. He earned the college scholarship to an elite institution. He landed then his dream job in New York City at a five-star restaurant. And then he was given the opportunity to to go back to the, the Midwest and open his own restaurant with the standards taught to him in in this elite institution, the standards of New York City brought to this this smaller city. His pursuit of happiness gave him everything, a six-figure salary, a five-star restaurant, his face on the cover of cooking magazines, everything he wanted. But for Jeff, it also came with the selfish pursuit of money and sex and an identity tied to his job. And it all began to crash in on him. He was ready to walk out of his marriage, to walk away from it all. He was ready to leave it behind. His brothers-in-law drive into town and sit him down at the kitchen table and tell him that's not an option. Walking away is, is not an option. They ask him, do you, do you believe in Jesus? You've, you've claimed it in the past. And he wrestles with what they describe. They describe the the challenges they face in their own lives and the the provision of grace that God has given to them. The next morning on his commute to work, he turns on the radio and a radio preacher says the same things his brothers-in-law had told him the day before. That faith in Christ brings forgiveness of sins. And so that morning on his commute, Jeff finds real peace and lasting hope in the gospel of grace. Jeff decides his five-star lifestyle needs to change. He doesn't want to just serve food to people. He wants to offer them the gospel. And so he sends out his resume, and he takes a job for a fraction of the salary he was pulling in before. He has to sell the cars and the house. He has to downsize. He has to change everything. He takes a job now cooking meals at a rescue mission for the homeless in his city. He used to serve plates that cost $80 to people. And now, he can provide meals for 63 cents a person. He does all of the shopping, preparing these these healthy meals in in an inexpensive way. But he's also the guy who has to drag out the folding chairs and set them up in the gym. He's the one who who commanded a, a kitchen with absolute authority, and now he's the one who drags out the trash on his own. But he says it gives him the the opportunity not just to serve a meal, but to serve the gospel. Because he can walk out of the kitchen and talk about the grace that God had shown to him, the forgiveness that he received. Jeff says, he says, my identity was determined by my job, by my status, the money I was making, the house, the cars I could buy. Now, my identity is in Christ. I'm a follower of Christ, a child of God. My identity is now someone who seeks to help people and to spread the gospel. I'm doing what I love for people I love, serving meals for the person I love, Jesus. Jeff finds satisfaction in the peace and the prosperity of the gospel. He thanks God for the privilege of of filling Hungry, hungry people with physical food, but, but more than that, 
He thanks God for the privilege he has of, of offering souls the all-satisfying bread of Jesus Christ. That's his description, the bread of Jesus Christ that endures for all eternity. The prosperity and the peace of Jesus are here, here for you today. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your generous blessing to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know the, the longings of living in a world where, where we don't have all that we need, in a world where we still feel the sorrow and sadness of broken lives, broken relationships. Lord, we ask you to, to meet our needs, but more than that, Lord, more than meeting our physical needs, we ask you to meet our spiritual needs. Lord, for those who list, have listened to your word, who don't know Jesus as Savior, who have not acknowledged him to be the true and rightful king of their lives. Lord, I pray that now, by faith, even as they observe the, your people taking the Lord's Supper, Lord, having heard the confessions of, of faith in our songs and scriptures, Lord, that they would turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us that, that are followers of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us to live for him, to long for gospel prosperity in our lives, to share that gospel with those around us, to find our identity, our hope, our satisfaction and joy in Jesus alone. Father, we come rejoicing because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.